0: Flash bulbs fill the air, frenzy fills the night. A lonely, girl a swirl, lost in blinding light. Hello, I'm Diana.
1: Come to this, the latest bonus episode, oh gracious welcome. This time around we'll be talking about Diana. Diana the musical. But I feel a fainting spell coming on her. It's true and so I must hand it over to your musical man Jonathan Bernicek. Jonathan I'm fainting. Catch me. Oh okay. I got you. Alright alright. Let's drag you over here lady. Okay let's set you down there on that stool. We got a little stool for you. Hello there. Hello, it's me. (laughs) Did you enjoy that little cameo from the Queen herself? I don't really know how to do a good impression of her. I feel like that would be disrespectful. But yes, we are talking about Diana the Musical for this, the latest bonus episode of The Musical Man. Hello. Welcome, Diana. As of this recording session, premiered on Netflix on October 1st, 2021. This is a film capture, that's the term that they like to use, of a Broadway show that will be opening at the Long Acre Theater on Broadway on November 17th, 2021. Until then, we can enjoy Diana via Netflix as much as we want. I have a feeling that it will remain on Netflix after the show opens on Broadway. Yes, I hope that they don't take it down. That would be strange. Why do I say I hope they don't take it down? I didn't like this show. I don't care if they take it down. Do whatever you want. I do have some standard show facts. Just because they're standard doesn't mean they're special, doesn't mean they're not not special, I should say, so let's share these show facts. The Book of Diana was written by Joe DiPietro. You might know Joe's work. He wrote the book for All Shook Up, the book and lyrics for Memphis, The Book of Nice Work if you can get it, and he also wrote the 2015 Broadway play Living on Love. The music for Diana was written by David Bryan, who also wrote for Memphis. He wrote the music and lyrics for that show, and the lyrics were written by Joe DiPietro and David Bryan. This is their baby, no doubt about it. The director of the Diana production is Christopher Ashley. The musical director, uh uh-oh, I didn't note that. Let me note that now. Okay, here we are. I have the information now. The musical director is Ian Eisendrath. Orchestrations are by John Clancy, and the choreographer is Kelly Devine. Scenic design is by David Zinn, and if I may make an observation in the middle of the show facts, I know we don't typically do this, but I have to say David Zinn's scenic design is quite quite strange. I did not fully understand what David was going for. I wrote down (laughs) that the city design was like a combination of Anastasia meets Tron. There was a moment where Diana walked through a series of arches on the way to her wedding, and those arches were lit as if they were made out of fucking Vegas neon. Oh, they were burnished is what they were. It was very strange. It was if she was going to play a game of life and death on the grid. Uh, Tron is what I'm... (laughs) (laughs) You get what I'm saying. Tron, tron, tron. The lighting design for Diana was by Natasha Katz, sound design by Gareth Owen, and costume design William Ivy Long. When it comes to this original Broadway cast, we have Jenna DeWall as Diana Spencer, Ro Hartriff as Prince Charles. This is Ro's Broadway debut. And this dude is beyond ripped. If you are familiar with this guy at all, you will know that his body is insane. And the attempts this production makes at at turning him into a stuffy prince, I should say, those are fruitless endeavors. It is a hopeless enterprise. I can see those massive pecs. You are not fooling anyone. That man is jacked. But we also have Erin Davey as Camilla Bowles, Judy Kaye as Queen Elizabeth. This is a very strange little note that I would like to include here regarding Judy Kaye. IBDB, the Internet Broadway Database, does not make this clear, but Judy Kaye also plays Barbara Cartland in Diana the Musical. She plays two parts, Queen Elizabeth and Barbara Cartland. Cartland is a romance novelist, Diana admires, who wound up becoming her step grandmother after her dad married. Barbara's daughter. They lay out a lot of track for the character of Barbara Cartland, and she's supposed to be comedic. I did not find the character to be funny at all. I don't understand why she exists in the show, but goddamn it, Judy Kay is trying her damnedest to make it work. I felt bad for her. Kay also played the Dowager Empress in *Speak of the Devil*, Anastasia, and the Duchess Estonia Dulworth in *Nice Work If You Can Get It*. Typecasting. Wow, she is caught in a psychotic carousel of duchesses and queens and dames. It's crazy. Ah, but who else do we have in this cast? We also have Zach Adkins as Andrew Parker Bowles, a complete non-starter of a character, bizarrely ineffectual. They bring him in way too late in the game, and I did not care about that guy. Oh, I'm married to Camilla, who's having sex with Prince Charles. I don't have much of an opinion regarding that affair. Ah, oh, Why am I on stage? I'm so- singing. Don't sing. Get off the stage. We have Tessa Alves, Ashley Andrews, Austin Daniel Bomer, Broadway debut for Austin. Congratulations. We have Holly Ann Butler as Sarah Spencer, Diana Spencer's sister. This character was amazing in all the worst ways that you could ever imagine. Sarah is basically the Alfred from Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. I've always found Michael Caine's Alfred from that franchise to be very funny because Alfred never really seems to understand how he feels about the concept of Batman, and whether or not Bruce Wayne should embrace that identity, it's kind of what's going on here in Diana the Musical. Sarah Spencer never seems to really have a hold on how she feels about her sister and her marriage to Prince Charles. They make a big deal about how Sarah Spencer used to date Charles before he ever even got together with Diana, and there are moments where it seems as if she's really against the idea of Diana getting married to this guy, and then later on in the show, she's (laughs) <laughs> she's taking the opposite stance. She's saying, no, Diana, you must stay in the marriage. You must stay in the marriage for the sake of your children. Oh, but he's a piece of shit. I can't believe you're still with him. What? You're getting divorced? Are you crazy? No, don't do that. You must remain in the marriage. This marriage is a sham, Diana. <laughs> she is wildly inconsistent. And the last time we see her on stage, she's complaining about dinner. She, she has at least three or four lines about dinner being late. Oh, Diana, really? You invited me over for dinner. Where's dinner? I want food. Where is the food? And funnily enough, she does not get food. Diana specifically cancels the dinner, which leaves Sarah with an empty stomach. It's insane. It's a terrible ending note for the character, I did not understand that you'll hear me say this a lot. I did not understand what they were going for But we're not done with this cast. We also have Bruce Dow as Paul Burrell. Paul. Oh, yes, this wonderful character I okay, I'm gonna say it again I had no idea what they wanted this character to be in regards to in relationship to Diana I should say is he an ally is he a minor obstacle slash antagonist? Is he a snoot does he come around to Diana's charms? I couldn't really get a firm grasp on where we were going with him. Chris couldn't get over how this actor, Bruce Dow, also plays a Russian cellist early on in the show. He kept saying to me every time this guy showed up, he would say, that's not Paul. That's the Russian cellist. He's a spy, Send Spike. A lot of Send Spike jokes if you've seen Goldeneye. (laughs) Chris and I do like to say send Spike a lot. We do it a lot. But Chris could not get over that, so we had to make sure that we included that observation. We're not done with the cast. We have Lauren E.J. Hamilton, Broadway debut. Andre Jordan as Colin. I don't remember who Colin was, but that's his Broadway debut as well. Congrats, Andre. Gareth Keegan as Gareth Keegan. No, that doesn't make any sense. Hold on. Let me look into this. Aha, here we go. Gareth Keegan plays James Hewitt. This is Gareth's Broadway debut. We have a lot of Broadway debuts in this cast. Gareth Keegan's body was one of the few highlights of the show. I enjoyed looking at his bare torso. What can I say? I'm a gay man. I'm attracted to this guy. I don't know what to say. I'm glad we were at least able to see one man's body. We we tried to obscure Prince Charles' abs and his six-pack, but when it comes to James Hewitt, we let him be sexy. We let him be out and proud when it comes to that body. Yes! Rocket! We have Nathan Luke Crizio, Luke Crizio, I do apologize for these pronunciations, as Andrew Morton, I don't remember that character, Tomas Metos, Broadway debut, Chris Medlin as Graham, don't remember that character, Laura Stracco, Broadway debut, and finally, Bethany and Tussark. Okay, that's it. That's all the show facts I have for you. It is now time to talk about the score, such as it is, of Diana the Musical. I have some general observations regarding the score right up top here the, oh goodness gracious, the terms fairy tale and fantasy are used about, I I said 10,000 times in my notes, that is an exaggeration, obviously, but I feel like nearly every single song in this score goes out of its way to invoke fairy tale or fantasy at some point, and it was- (laughs) Oh my goodness. It was baffling. It was maddening. The fairy tale is a fantasy. The fantasy is the fairy tale. Enough already. Do you not understand that you have already used these terms several times? Is this meant to be a motif? You cannot convince me that this was meant to be a theme. Oh, it's a running theme that ooh, it courses through the entire score like blood through veins. It really lifts up the score is what it does. Give me a break. You have no idea what you're doing. You are relying on these terms because you are lazy and ineffectual, lyricists, composers in general. That's what I say to you. Get out of here. The show dramatizes an event from 1985 in which Diana Spencer danced at the Royal Opera House with a performer named Wayne Sleep, and this was very controversial at the time because at that point she had already married into the Royal Family, but the show chooses to ignore the fact that in real life, she and Wayne Sleep danced to Billy Joel's Uptown Girl. In the musical, they just sort of do a little bit of generic ballet to instrumental music. I mean, come on, pay for the song rights and stage this properly. I want to see them dance to Uptown Girl. In hindsight, the relationship between Diana and Sleep and their clandestine dance lessons could have sustained an entire show. I'm going to take that back. It might have been able to sustain a one act. Sometimes choosing to focus on a pocket of time is better than trying to encourage encapsulate someone's entire history. And that is what Diana is trying to do, trying and failing to do. Okay, now it's time to talk about the score in specific terms. Let's really get into the nuts and bolts of this thoroughly bland and utterly forgettable score. I want to start with underestimated. We are not going to be hearing any clips from the score. Just to let you know, I do not want this to drag on any longer than it had to. This show was nearly two hours long. It felt like it was longer, and so I don't want to waste your time. Okay, so underestimated contains one of the few memorable musical moments this show has to offer, and that's is Princess Diana simply singing the word underestimated. She sings it as underestimated. Underestimated, she says that several times, and for whatever reason, that stuck with me. I am not trying to give the show credit for this. I don't think it's a good moment, but I don't know. It just sort of—it's clinging to me like dandruff or lint on a sweater. Underestimated, get out of here! No, under—ah, get out of my head! Underestimated. That's all I have to say about that song. It's not a good song. What about the worst? job in England, well, that's when I knew I was officially in trouble. Ladies and gentlemen, everyone in between and outside of the spectrum, I knew I was in trouble when the ensemble started dancing. The ensemble is dressed as Royal Palace staff members, and oh, how they're, uh, they're moving their shoulders like this, and they're doing really crazy modern dance moves. The staging was so bad. The choreography was so embarrassing. I felt embarrassed to be a fan of musical theater in that moment. This made me feel, this makes musical theater, I should say, look ridiculous and wholly incapable, wholly ineffectual as a form of storytelling. It made me question the validity of musical theater. I don't want that. I don't want to be embarrassed watching a musical. This is a subject that I have dedicated a great deal of time to. But my God, watching this The Worst Job in England sequence, that was nutty. I forget where this falls in the score, but... I'm also remembering there is a lyric in some song from this show where they rhyme palace staffs with photographs. No more palace staffs. No more photographs. No more palace staffs. I don't really think the grammar fucking works when you put it that way. No more palace staffs. Okay, alright. This is how your people dance. This just continued the embarrassment. I felt that this was completely ridiculous. Watching Diana crowd surf and play an upright, glowing, neon bass like it's an electric guitar. Man, that is certainly surreal. I will give them that, and it in no way made her seem more relatable. If that was their goal, well, goal not accomplished. The ensemble seems angry throughout this song. They are singing to Prince Charles, or I should say in the direction of Prince Charles, because this is all taking place in Tiana's mind, and Prince Charles does not realize the ensemble is singing at him and dancing angrily. This is how your people dance, Charles, you simpering pissant, fuck you. You are an ancient artifact of a time that should have died out a long time ago. This is how we dance, we do the robot. And then at a certain point, Charles joins the fantasy and he's doing the robot. He's doing the worm. No, he doesn't do the worm. But he's doing all kinds of crazy dance moves. And it's stupid is what it is. It's stupid. Wow, what about Snap Click? This is a song that's in the show. This is a real song and a sequence that they fully staged. Chimachi characterizing the press as a mob of heathens. Ooh, bloodthirsty, foaming Cujo types. Ooh, we're dogs in the street. Our weapons are our cameras. Ha ha ha. Come here, mister. Diana, we want to take a photo of you, we're little demon goblins. And they're dressed in identical film noir trench coats. They use the trench coats as capes as if they're vampire bats. Subtle, very subtle. This does feature a little bit of musicality that stuck with me like dander or dandruff or lint. And how does it go? Oh, it goes like this, snap, click, snap, click. I kept singing that all night, all throughout the morning. Snap, click, snap, click. Look at this. The kindergarten teacher is a fucking bitch. Like, (laughs) they say, they say bitch. I I don't want to say that too often. It's not a word that I like to use, but my God, that really... (laughs) (laughs) That really threw me for a loop. I really couldn't believe it when we got to the song, I Will, and I realized, oh, we're actually at the wedding of Diana and Charles. I'm pretty sure that not 20 minutes had passed, and we somehow had already gotten to the wedding? We move way too fast through Act 1. The songs practically exist on top of each other, and the book scenes, if we can call them that, they are bizarrely truncated. Was the show edited for Netflix? Are we trimming some? some of these book moments. I kind of got that sense. By comparison, Act 2 has almost nothing to say and everyone just sort of stands around arguing endlessly. Oh, you know how much I hate musical theater arguing. Man, that is boring. The wedding should have been the end of Act 1. Am I right? I know I'm right. I want a full act that leads up to the wedding. I want a full act of Diana's life before she officially enters into the world of the royals. She talks about missing her students, but we never see them so it doesn't mean anything. Oh, I never got to say goodbye to my kindergarten class. Well, that would mean something if I actually saw you interacting with those children. That would actually make you seem more like a fucking human being, but we never saw that. Act 2, in this hypothetical situation of mine, this better version of the show, in my version, Act 2 would have pushed Charles to the background and focused on Diana's humanitarian work, actually dramatizing it for the stage. The AIDS scene, which is coming up in a bit, the scene where she meets with men who have AIDS, that scene is the only time when Diana is allowed to enter into one of her own headlines and breathe and exist as a person. Show me more scenes like that. Show me the minefield that she walked through, the active minefield. That was an enormous moment from Princess Diana's life. And it's it's relegated to a passing observation. Oh, she also did that. She did this, she did that. Don't just say she did this, she did that. This is supposed to be a show that honors her memory. Don't just say she did this, she did that. Wasn't that cool, wasn't that great, moving on. No, you don't just rush past shit like that. Oh, uh, what a mess. I miss you most on Sundays. What a stinker of a duet. This is a duet between uh, Prince Charles and what is her name? What's her fucking Camilla? Right, Camilla, that's it. It's a duet between Charles and Camilla. The lyrics are pure hallmark nonsense. Could you tell I was stalling while I while I skimmed through my notes? <laughs> okay, so the lyrics are hallmark nonsense. At one point, Camilla says something like, Oh, Sundays. Those silly languid devil-may-care days Shut up, what are you doing? Just speak, just speak as if you are truly emoting and sharing something Okay, musicals are supposed to... They're supposed to take raw emotion and crystallize them in very acute very precise ways I want to I want to get to it get past the flowery language I don't need to hear you describe Sundays talk about what you need from the person who is your partner in this scene Just speak and sing like a person. I do not care about Camilla and Charles They both seem like nightmare people who need to get their fucking lives in order Here's an idea pick up a duck or two put them in a row Jesus Christ, there is a scene later on in this show in which Charles is trying to paint a landscape. For a postage stamp, I nearly fell out of my seat. It was so stupid. And Camilla looks at the landscape and she says, well, it's not your best. Okay, how did this make the cut? Why am I watching these boring, emotionally impotent people? Wowie, wow wow wow. Here comes James Hewitt. There is a song called, Here Comes James Hewitt. The introduction is made by Barbara Cartland, This character comes in and out of the show so randomly, this ridiculous woman in pink, who is, again, meant to be very, very funny, and she is not. Uh, This introduction is pure Hamilton. That is absolutely what they are riffing on, because in Hamilton, they make a big deal about here comes George Washington, here comes Thomas Jefferson. You know how that's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Those are real melodies from the Hamilton score. ya yeah, da 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 What am I riffing on? ya yeah, da, da 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 I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe you know what I'm doing. Okay, so this song is nutty and goofy in all the wrong ways. I did not think it was fun or funny. Dude is just grinding a saddle for a solid 30 seconds. He has no shirt on. He is grinding his fucking balls and cock into this saddle. Again, I liked looking at his body, but I was also, <laughs> I felt like a pilgrim. I was blushing and going, oh. This is just, this is silly. This is not, this show wants to be sexual, but it is so toothless when it comes to the sexuality. Watching Diana and James, my God, watching them trade banter about horse cocks, essentially, is beyond painful. And again, this is another scene that's supposed to be fantasy. It's not supposed to be representative of what actually happened in real life. Barbara Cartland is sort of like directing the scene and she's writing dialogue for them. It is a mess. That device is fucking garbage. Get rid of that. That is something that in the workshop process, they should have realized, wow, one too many elements. We do not need her step-grandmother, who was a romance novelist, coming in and directing scenes and writing dialogue for these two where they're like, oh, so does your husband give you riding lessons? Oh, he does, yes, but he's not very good at riding. Oh, maybe he has the wrong horse. I'd love to see your horse sometime. Oh, I, I can assure you, Diana, that, oh my god, I'm, I'm touching my own tits. Yes, I can assure you my horse can do the job. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, oh, fuck. Yeah. Duh. Disgusting. Stupid. Childish. Get it out of here. No, no, no. I say that all the time. Get it out of here. No, no, no. I'll throw this in here while we're here because Diana keeps talking about how great James Hewitt would be for her children. He would make a good father for her children. You can't keep talking about Harry and William, her sons. They make a big deal about how, oh, we have to stay together for the boys, the boys, Harry and William. Oh, they could really use a strong father figure. Charles is such a shit. But You can't keep talking about the children as if they matter when they never appear on stage. They are phantoms. They are specters. We never fucking see them even once. We absolutely should have them be on stage as living, breathing people, real characters. We need stage time dedicated to Diana's actual working relationship with her children if we are meant to care about them. The stakes are supposed to be so high. My God, this family, what will happen if we split up this family? I don't see the family. I don't see them. I don't hear them. I have no ability to process them as real people. Well, we have to have the romantic have grandmother the romance novelist, we make her a character, but the kids? The kids get no stage time? Stupid! No! I suppose if James were to be on stage with Diana's sons, it would only further the conspiracy theory, if you're familiar with this conspiracy theory, that he was Harry's biological father, because Harry has red hair and James Hewitt has red hair. Apparently, this conspiracy theory is untrue when you look at the timelines of the pregnancy and when their affair started. But, you know, maybe that could have been a fun Easter egg. Ooh, an implication, a conspiracy. Why not? You might as well address some of the conspiracy theories that surround this family. Everyone's obsessed with all of the conspiracy theories. Why not throw those idiots a bone? I mentioned this a few minutes ago, but there is a scene where Diana goes to meet with gay men who have been diagnosed with HIV. They are dealing with HIV and AIDS. This sequence is known, I believe, as Secrets and Lies. I hope I'm not getting that wrong. The show does not care. I'm not convinced that the show cares about Diana's work with AIDS patients. It is merely another stop on the bus tour that is this show. Oh, on your left! some men who are dying as a result of HIV and AIDS complications, moving on. We never bring it up again. We never bring it up again. After moving beyond it, it's just another fucking footnote. It's so insulting, but at least it occurs on stage. They do not relegate it to a headline that is delivered in passing. So I guess I should be grateful for that, that the gay men exist on stage, unlike her children. (laughs) The children don't exist, but these gay guys get their moment in the spotlight. Oh, I suppose I should be grateful. Take what you can get, Jonathan. Representation is representation. Love is love is love. All right, fine. The main event is a terrible sequence in which the, oh goodness, how do I even begin to describe this? A boxing ring of sorts is set up so that Diana and Camilla can face off against each other. Ooh, in a cat fight to end all cat fights. Ooh, goodness gracious. There is something in here about. It's the thriller in Manila with Diana and Camilla. If you have not watched this, you will think I am making that up But they really do sing that line. It's the thriller in Manila with Diana and Camilla They say it several times because they're so proud of themselves. They want to honor how clever they are Can you believe that we came up with this? I don't know. Maybe this was something that people said in the tabloids at the time I don't know. It's a thriller in Camilla with Diana and Manila. I don't know why I'm fucking it up on purpose. <laughs> what, about, what about the song, The Words Came Pouring Out, which sounds exactly like the chorus from Pete Townsend's Let My Love Open the Door. And the words came pouring out. Let my love open the door it's just, it's so stupid. Most of these songs sound like derivatives of pop tunes that I would rather be listening to than, than this score. I would prefer those over this score, is what I mean to say. Diana references the Pet Shop Boys early on in the show, and let me tell you, I would much rather hear a Pet Shop Boys score about Diana Spencer. That would have been much more interesting. Then we have a song called The Dress, which I believe is the song in which Paul, the character Paul, sings, this is a feckety feck 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 feck, feck. fuck you dress. They say feckity feck? It is so fucking stupid. This was the moment I fully accepted how insulting the show was to Diana Spencer's memory. If I were Harry or William or her sister or any member from her family, I would be deeply disgusted by this show. She was a real person, and this reduces her to an illustration out of a pop-up book. It sucks. It's like we're watching a terrible version of Pretty Woman or The Princess Diaries. It fucking sucks. Most of Diana's emotional turns in this show are filtered through her dresses. I don't really know why. She steps into her wedding dress. She discards the dresses chosen for her by the queen in favor of stylish modern dresses. Oh, what a turn. She buys a feckety feck 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 you dress to piss off Charles. Then at the end of the show, the dresses are sold for charity. So that's a button on that little arc. The dresses have an arc. The dresses have more of an arc than she does. I would argue. There are so many trick dress effects. Broadway loves a trick dress effect. A quick change. Oh, how many tricks can we pull? Too many is the, is the answer to the question I am posing. To be clear, the show does not care about Diana's charity work. I know I've basically already said this, but I want to say it again. It reduces most of that work to lines. Lines from the book that are delivered in passing by members of the ensemble. These lines are often placed on top of each other, so they get cut off. You never get all of the information you would want. Oh, I want to hear more about that. Oh, well, well we've already moved on. Oh, I, w- I would like to hear more about that. No, no, okay, I guess, I guess I'm gonna have to fucking look it up on Wikipedia later. Thanks a lot, show. Thanks a lot, musical. I only have two more songs to talk about from this dumb, dumb, oh, boo, 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 boo. C minus score. If I had to put a grade on it, C minus score. I want to talk about an officer's wife. I think this is meant to shed some light on the queen. This is a big, rousing, anthem them for Queen Elizabeth, but it's a little more than a hilarious bit of stuff and nonsense. I could not pay attention to it. There is a story being told. There is a there are so many references to the Queen's past, and I could not hang on to any of them. They slipped through my fingers like water. I did not care. The Queen makes a joke about cutting off Diana's head. She says, oh, I wish it was like the old days. I wish I could cut off your head and call it a day. She isn't what I would call a sympathetic character. My god, the jokes in this fucking show. That's supposed to be a joke. Oh, I wish I could cut off your head. Do we not understand that there are many people who believe the family put a hit on Diana? The royal family killed Diana is a huge conspiracy theory. Why are we indulging in that? I would say let's not indulge in that particular theory. And finally, I want to talk about IF, otherwise known as Light the World. The strobe effect that is paired with Diana's final exit. When she dies and she leaves the stage for the final time, we have this very unsettling strobe effect that is set to nothing. It takes place in pure silence. The strobe effect is meant to represent all of the camera flashes that she experienced throughout her life. It's the cameras flashing in front of her and we're seeing Diana from so many sharp angles and it's a little unsettling and eerie and chilling and it's the only moment, again, the only staging decision that truly impressed me. I was impressed. I liked that. But the show comes to such a wildly abrupt ending at that point. Diana's death, like the rest of her life, is not granted proper weight. We are told again and again that all of these moments were meaningful, but it never feels true. I never actually buy the importance, the portentous quality of these moments. I never, I never buy it. Sorry, no, no, no. Final thoughts. Okay, final thoughts. What do I have to say here? Oh, oh. let's start here. This is a bad imitation of a bad West End show. It feels like a West End show that came over across the pond and is now on Broadway, but it was written for Broadway and it just seems so strange, so outdated. It feels like it's from 10 to 15 years ago. I'm not convinced that Diana's story is even meant to be adapted for film, television, or the stage, any medium. I don't think any medium would really do her justice. Diana the Musical turns Diana into a PG-13 girl boss, and from what I can tell, Pablo Lorraine's upcoming film, Spencer, which stars Kristen Stewart as Diana, I'm afraid that is going to swing too far in the other direction, putting Diana under a microscope so as to obsess over her every wince. Let's put the camera right in her face. Look at her cheekbones! She's so gaunt! She's so hunted! Those are hunted cheekbones! And The Crown, well, I've never seen a minute of The Crown. Crown, but that show feels very much in the mold of prestige television. That is, in actuality, no more or less prestigious than the tabloids it would seek to criticize. We need to back away from our obsession with these people, the royals, and stop elevating them to the level of pop culture deities. We really do. We need to dial that shit back. That is my advice. This would have been better off in the hands of a major composer if we do, if we do insist on turning Diana's life into a musical. I believe that we would have been better off in the hands of, I hate to say it, but an Andrew Lloyd Webber or even Frank Wildhorn. I would be very interested to see Wildhorn's take on this material. I would like to see what he comes up with. Wildhorn knows how to write anthems and love ballads that actually stay with you sometimes. He has a better track record than these guys at least. Yes, the Frank Wildhorn songs would probably Probably have been cheesy and treacly, but they would have been memorable, is what I'm trying to say to you. As it stands, the score we got feels like something pulled off of a Costco shelf. Utterly soulless and without character. No offense, Costco. Here's my big prediction. I believe Diana will absolutely flop when it finally opens on Broadway. I don't think it's gonna do well. Die-hard royal obsessives will think of this as nothing more than cliff notes, and casual observers, like my husband, Chris, will probably be baffled as to why any of this should matter to them. Chris felt that way. I completely understand why he felt that way, and he is not going to be alone. I think this show is going to sink like a stone. Now, I'm done talking about Diana the Musical because right now I want to focus on Princess Diana the musical. This is a completely separate show that I have known about since I was in college. I got the cast recording when I was in college, and I have been obsessed with it ever since. This was a passion project for the show's author. The book was written by Karen Sokolov-Javich and Elaine Jabenis, but we really want to focus on Karen Sokolov-Javich. She wrote the music and lyrics for this show. It's a very strange love letter to Princess Diana. It is so bad but it actually in terms of structure and the subjects it chooses to address it is closer to Diana the musical and Diana the musical would ever care to admit they are very similar shows in terms of how they approach this life and the <laughs> the success rate I would say both are equally successful when it comes to really capturing Diana's ooh her ethos her ether I don't know what word I want to use it's important to note that I own if I may brag humble Brag. I own the actual original cast recording of Princess Diana the Musical. The version you can find on Spotify features an updated score that does not include a lot of the more, shall we say, painfully embarrassing numbers. I do believe that Karen Sokolov-Javich has tried to improve this score and make it less embarrassing. And I say why? Why did you go back to the well? Why are you trying to mess with this brew? It was perfect as it was. It is so bad and we are going to be hearing a couple of songs from it today. But first, I want to talk about the other musicals and projects Karen Sokolov-Javich has authored, has spearheaded. We have musicals, we have song cycles. Here are some titles for you. Surprise! The Musical. From Generation to Generation. How about Love at the Café? His Name Was Freedom. One fun songs for Jewish kids and teens. Going through the big D songs to help you cope with your divorce. Ah, here we go. The Tribute Album, the full name of which actually is the Tribute Album, colon, dedicated to Steve Jobs. We have songs that are dedicated to Steve Jobs, of course, but also Michael Jackson, Maria Shriver, Lea Michelle, and Liza Minnelli. They get a combo track, if you can believe that. But then we also have a song that's dedicated to Paul McCartney and Nancy Chevelle. Why not? And then finally, the other show I want to mention is Everything Happens at Westside High School. Yeah, that sounds fun. A lot of these projects, most of these projects, incorporate songs originally found in Princess Diana, the musical. She cribs from her own trunk of songs constantly. The material is constantly being recycled, regurgitated. I am obsessed with this woman and her body of work. This is certainly true of Karen's Octomom musical. Ho, 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 ho. Yes, you thought nobody would remember that, but I've been following you for some time, Karen. I am quite familiar with your Octomom musical that you wrote. That is currently not being advertised on her official site. It was at one time. It is not currently. But many of the Princess Diana songs were recycled for the Octomom musical. It's true. She also produced two albums of love songs entitled Men in Love and Women in Love. Yes, that's right. These are for gay couples and they feature track lists that are nearly identical. Okay, so the orchestrations for Princess Diana the Musical were overseen by Chuck Pennington, and this album features Lisa Kluwer-Lind as Princess Diana, and John Michael Zerline as Prince Charles. Those are the only facts that I want to throw at you before I play this song. This song is called Everything Happens at Buckingham Palace. Now, you might remember that I mentioned another musical written by Karen, which is called Everything Happens at West Side high school, and that's because this song "Everything Happens at Buckingham Palace" was turned into "Everything Happens at West Side High School." That's insane. So when you're listening to this song, just picture another version of it that's about high school students starting their senior year at West Side High School. That is just wow. That is so funny to me. The fact that she is constantly reusing this material. I know every word of everything happens at Buckingham Palace, and I might as well prove it to you. I'm going to have Patty and Benny drop in the audio, and then I'm going to sing it myself, by myself, and it will be picture perfect. It fucking better be. It better be exactly what you hear right now. Let's play that song. Buckingham Palace, at the palace, at the palace, everything happens, at Buckingham Palace. We are shining up today for His Highness's birthday, Prince Charles will celebrate. Hundreds invited and more, even ex-girlfriends he adores, as he searches to find his mate. There's excitement all around, can Cinderella be found? Who would you nominate? Yes, everything happens. You know it all happens. Yes, everything happens. Here at Buckingham, we could all write a book, you know, all about this royal pro show. But we wouldn't dare, because this is where we want to be. at Buckingham Palace. I told you I fucking knew every single word of that song. I've been listening to it since college. You motherfuckers. You didn't think I could do it. I wasn't looking at a fucking thing. I didn't have any notes in front of me. Are you impressed? This show is fucking bonkers. If you want the original cast album, I will send it to you via Dropbox. You know what? I'm just going to put that on the Patreon page. I'm going to put a link on Patreon so that everyone can experience all. There are over 25 songs. I want to say there are 23 to 25 songs. There is a fucking number about the King and Queen Elizabeth fucking. They're like they're they're flirting with each other and they're clearly going to fuck. It is so insane. There is a song in which William or Harry sings to his mummy. Hello, mummy. I'm not the little boy I used to be. I think I should have more responsibility. That's a real moment. And we are going to close this out with another song from the show. But I want to say goodbye to you. I want to say thank you for listening to this bonus episode. We will have another bonus episode for you in December that is all about NBC's Annie Live. But for now, we're going to hear a song that you cannot hear on Spotify because it's not part of the updated score. No, no, no. Patty and Benny, can we play that? Goodbye. See you in December for our next bonus episode. Go play it. We welcome you to Toad.
0: Welcome to the USA! This is quite a surprise. It's been a long time since I've seen that look in your eyes. Philly, darling, let me crawl in by your side. Goodness, Philly, you haven't died.